Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we're checking in with Jamie Thomas, Jets radio analyst who was in Penticton for the Jets Young Stars Classic. Also, look back at a crazy week in the CFL, all on the podcast. Today, the Winnipeg Jets Young Stars wrapped up the experience in Penticton. They went uh, one and two, a 4-2 loss today to the Calgary Flames Young Stars. And the man who was there to take it all in, Jamie Thomas, Jets radio analyst doing color on the live stream broadcasts. Jamie, you're at the airport and getting ready to come back. But how would you describe this whirlwind experience for the young players taking part? Well, I think for the most part, talking to a lot of the guys, you know, it's a fantastic experience for them to experience pro hockey. And, you know, you think of a guy like Colby Barlow wearing a Jets jersey in a game. Uh, scenario for the first time and then other guys getting their first shot like uh, Cole, Connor Levis. I can go down the list, Jacob Julian, uh, all part of the Jets 2023 uh, draft class from Nashville. But I think, you know, it's it's a whirlwind. You have some really strange game times. Their first game on Friday was at four. They played yesterday at two o'clock and they played this morning at 10. So it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a whirlwind. Saturday they practiced. So I think now a lot of them would probably say now they're ready to come and uh, get ready for main camp. Um, so overall a great experience, you know, and it's also just more guys coming together after, you know, bonding at development camp. And this is the first time they got to really get to see how well they played together. Cause a lot of these guys or some of these guys are going to be Winnipeg jets one day. And of course we'll be together on the ice. What do you look to take away from an event like this, where it's a bit unnatural, they're thrown yeah. together really quickly yeah. and, uh, guys the playing time might rotate power play you don't really have any time to work on it what do you yeah. look for in, a, in an event like this well I, I think you first off you 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 look at the guys that were here last year like the daniel torgerson's the henry nikonins you know simon lundmark to see you know their development right to see if the, this is the, so clearly they have more of a veteran presence uh, at this tournament there's the more confidence in their game the second time around when they come to Pentix and unlike the, uh, you know, the wide eye rookie kind of look that they had last year. So I thought Simon Lundmark had a very solid tournament. I thought Daniel Torgerson had a good tournament. Uh, Henry Neekinen was counted on for big faceoffs, and certainly when the Jets were shorthanded uh, in, in this tournament. And then you look at the guys that are getting their first look at professional hockey. Um, I thought Elias Salamonson, you know, has played professional hockey, but over in Sweden, uh, his first journey into North American hockey was pretty successful. You know, he had a goal today. Um, and then you look at Nikita Chibrikov, you're wondering what you have in him. And I thought as the tournament got along, he got a lot more comfortable. And you saw that today. He was, he was not shy to shoot the puck. Uh, pretty sure he had around 10 or 11 sh- uh, shot attempts. Um, and then, of course, scored a goal today as well. So, and then I talked to him afterwards, and he felt uh, and admitted that he felt more and more comfortable. So the first day was difficult getting used to playing against, you know, the stronger players, like the guys that played in the American Hockey League. Uh, last year, the older players, and they said the travel day was the day before was a little, it was a little daunting for them, right? So, with, you know, the Jets, you fly to Calgary, you fly to Kelowna, and then you bus to Kelowna, bus to Penticton, so it's a pretty long travel day. So, that's pretty much what I took out of it. And then, last one, at least on, on that aspect, Christian, is just the, the goaltending. You know, you you have two goaltenders of the year from their the OHL and the Western Hockey League, respectively, and uh, Dominic DiVincentis and Thomas Millich both look fantastic this weekend. So um, that's that's quite a, t- a lot to take from three games, and I'm very excited for what I saw from both those goaltenders in the, in the three games. How did Colby Barlow look, the 2023 first-rounder? Yeah, yeah. the, the, the first game, like a lot of the, the younger players, uh, just kind of looked a little 
overwhelmed, but I felt, you know, yesterday against Vancouver, uh, the Jets comeback came down in, in the, in the third period, you know, down to nothing. They're being heavily outshot in the first two periods. And then, you know, to get a big goal and then Colby Barlow on the power play and a beautiful setup from Daniel Torgerson. And then you really started to see that confidence coming through. He's got a great shot. The Jets were trying to set him up quite a bit on the power play in, in the high slot area. Great release. And then on the shootout yesterday afternoon against Vancouver, just a goal scores goal looking for and finding the five hole. And uh, that helped the Jets win that hockey game in a comeback fashion. So uh, he, you can tell he, he got more relaxed as time went along and he really liked that line with him and, Chaz Lucius and Nikita Chibrikov, uh, they played together for the majority of the three games. And so uh, lots to be excited about. And you see the release they're talking about. And that's another, like, no one knows that better than Dom DiVincentis, right? He faces him in the, in the Ontario Hockey League and he says he's got a heavy shot. It's, he's got a quick release and you can fully see why he scored, has scored as many goals as he has already in his young junior hockey career. How about Nikita Chibrikov? Kelly Moore said he was the best player on the ice today. What did you see? Yeah, not, not even close. Like, they're just... You know, speaking with Mark Morrison, the Moose head coach, who was part of the Moose coaching staff, of course, coming here to Penticton, he said afterwards he's just like he was everywhere in the ice, and his compete level was high at, at all, not you know, all parts of the ice, not just the offensive end. Uh, he didn't shy away from contact. He was very physical through the three games, and uh, for a guy of his size and stature, you, that's 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 a great thing to see, right? He's not backing away from anybody. And then I talked to him also after the game, and he just said he felt the best he's felt uh, in those three games uh, today. And you see the release, buddy. He's got a great shot. He's, it's accurate. Uh, he hit a goal post uh, on a power play also in the first period. So uh, I think lots to be excited about him. And also he's just thrilled that, you know, he's, his North American professional career is about to begin with the Manitoba Moose. So it says he loves the organization and also loves the fact that, the, you know, the Winnipeg Jets share the same arena, right? That he says his dream to play in the National Hockey League and to have that so close by will be a definite incentive for him this year. So they get like a day to chill, I guess, before training camp, right? They come home, you're coming home now, and then uh, on-ice sessions begin Thursday at the Hockey for All Center. Yeah, it's pretty tough. It's like they get right right to it, too, and almost good, right? You've had this tournament, you'll have one kind of day away from the rink for a bit, but, uh, you know, for them to go through the medicals, well, they've already gone through medicals, but they'll, you know, for them to get back on the ice, get ready, get going on Thursday, I think will be a good thing. Team also announcing today the training camp roster and groups. Both of them split uh, 28 per side, and there's a good mix of uh, NHLers, AHLers, and young guys on each roster. They're going with Team Solani and Team Numinant this year as opposed yeah. to white or blue or red. That's pretty yeah. cool, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, both players went into the Winnipeg Jets Hall of Fame last year. You know, there was that really cool ceremony, the gala, and we got to see it all. And but for a guy that watched both those players, uh, you know, it's it's an honor to, you know, watch them, an honor to see them be, be inducted to the Jets Hall of Fame. And I think it's a great tribute to both players who are such an instrumental part of uh, the Winnipeg Jets 1.0, right? So it's, uh, I, I think I love when teams do this, when they pay respect or pay homage to their great players of years past. And Kepa Newman and Timo Solani certainly fit that bill and follow that, that to a T. So the, we don't read anything to how they're grouped, right? It's just kind of random? No. Yeah, I think it's random right now. And, and you know, it, it depends on the groups and uh, how they decide. Likely is the groups early on for the preseason games, right, too. So um, it's good to split them up. And, you know, as you know, they t- traditionally send less veteran players uh, for road games and keep the, ro- the, the heavy veteran presence for the home games as well. So 
it, not, nothing to read too much into it all right now. So it's just how Rick Bonus and, and the rest of the coaching staff have kind of drawn this up. And certainly after Kevin Settle Day off and Craig Heisinger have played a role in, in, in fitting the groups together. We're less than a week away from the preseason opener next Sunday. Uh, the Jets at Edmonton, then back home a week from tonight against the Edmonton Oilers, which I suppose will will feature a, a decent, not maybe a decent number of veterans, but more veterans than the, the night game yeah. before because um, you're doing a back-to-back, kind of a split squad situation when if you're looking at baseball spring training. But uh, for you now, looking ahead, uh, you've got you got a lot of hockey coming up. How excited are you? Uh, really excited, and I think we got a good taste of it here this weekend. And you know that first game was kind of choppy, but then you started to see the the compete level coming up, and then you're starting to think about the preseason, and you realize you know you play those first two preseason games, and then cuts start being made, and then you start getting closer to the re- regular season. I'll make no bones about it. it; it almost feels like the roster is filled in already. But you're always looking forward to seeing someone push for a spot on the Winnipeg Jets. And then you want to look and see how the Manitoba Moose are going to look, right? They're going to be pretty young and dynamic up front. And uh, so I, I love it, buddy. I know you do too. And it's just great to get back in the swing of things uh, after a pretty long summer, uh, after that five game playoff series to start for the Jets against, against Vegas. Did you get to watch the Dolphins last night? <laughs> I did. The game ended perfectly. We actually went up for dinner at a nice restaurant right by on Okanagan beach. So, I uh, watched a little bit of on my phone when I was having dinner. And then I watched the third and fourth quarter, and I uh, was was you know biting my cheeks in the in the fourth quarter as the Dolphins were getting real sloppy with the football, um, but their defense really buckled down when they had to. And on the last drive from the Patriots, I wish that lineman would have been given the first down though. That was I a know. cool play. I, I, it, it was a fantastic play, and it's it was such a weird play and such a weird. Uh, it took some time for them to look at it, but. Those rules are rules, as yeah. they say, and, and yeah. the, the Dolphins really dodged the ball on that one because there was just it was poor ball man, time management by them. I felt, and I don't know if they really should have kicked that field goal because Jason Sanders isn't exactly elite outside of fifty yards. So um, I, I get where you're trying to um, try your show, your keeper. You have some faith in them, but the team gets the way the Patriots were rolling in the fourth quarter, with Mac Jones and the, the no huddle offense. They were they were they were on their heels, and the defense was tired. So I thought that was pretty risky by. Mike McDaniel to go for the field goal there. But you're 2-0. and One of just two AFC teams right now. That's 2-0 and through week two. Yeah, the Browns can make it three, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah. when you start on the road 2-0, and I think you'll take that anytime. So then, then they have a pretty heavy home schedule in the last part of the season. So you, you take those two road wins and you, you can see what you build off of that with that. Well, Jamie, appreciate you hopping on the show tonight. Thanks for the insight. Safe travels back home. We'll see you soon. Thanks, my friend. We'll see you soon. That's Jamie Thomas, Jets radio analyst on CJOB, also out there in Penticton covering the Young Stars Classic as they get set to come home. He's also a Dolphins fan, obviously. There are weekends that contain one, maybe two, good CFL games. There are lots of blowouts. We've seen it with the Bombers. We've seen it with the Argonauts. But this weekend, holy smokes, four games that you had to watch from start to finish because you had no clue what was going to happen. It was absolutely chaotic. So we have to look back at the wild action in the week 14 CFL recap, which might be the longest one I've ever done. We started Montreal where the Argonauts visited the Alouettes. Toronto can clinch the East with a win in just their 12th game. Wow. Montreal with a 3-0 lead late in the first when A.J. Ouellette caps off a touchdown drive with a two-yard run. 7-3 Boatmen after the first. and 10-3 at the half. And now 13-3 in the third when the Owls, they finally figure it out. 
Caleb Evans with the patented backup quarterback one-yard touchdown plunge. Next drive, it's a field goal, and the defense forces another two and out. Look at this. Montreal's driving again. Cody Fajardo goes six for six on the drive. It's capped off by a 14-yard touchdown pass to Tyson Philpott. And the Owls have a 20-13 lead in the fourth and another Argos punt. The Owls could win this. A solid drive gets Montreal to the Toronto 38, but on second and five with six minutes left, Fajardo is sacked for a loss of eight, and what becomes a 54-yard field goal is no good. But on the return, a holding call puts the Argos at their own one, and on third and two from their own nine, they're lining up to go for it? Really? Yeah, there's the snap, and it's a pass, and it's a pass interference call that gives them new life. He's of 19, 14, 17, 10, 4. Add on 15 for a penalty, and there's Chad Kelly hitting DeVaris Daniels for the six-yard touchdown. Oh, never, never mind. Toronto called for an unnecessary roughness call, wiping the TD off the board. And on third and goal from the 21, they turned over. So with 2.16 to go, the Owls just need a few first downs. Instead, they got two and out and take 12 seconds off the clock. Toronto, 66 yards to tie the game. Can they do it? Yeah, they did in two plays. 25-yard completion, then 41 yards from Kelly to DeMonte Coxey. And we're tied with 141 to go. Overtime? Nope. Fajardo gets hit as he throws. He's picked. Toronto gets a field goal. But hold on. There's still time for the Owls to complete a couple passes and put David Cote in a field goal range from 45 yards to tie it at the buzzer. Bomber fans have seen this movie before. The kick is blocked. It's no good. Toronto at 11-1 has won the East already in week 15. My goodness. To the night game where the Rough Riders were hosting the suddenly not terrible Elks. Riders up three zip early when Jake Dolagala gets picked and then Trey Ford is picked, so whatever. Three plays after that, Dolagala hits Sean Bain Jr. Saskatchewan up 10-0 after one. But early in the second, Edmonton responds. Taylor Cornelius out there for the quarterback sneak on second and one. Psych! Throws it to A.C. Leonard for the 10-yard score. Each team adds a field goal. 13-10 Riders at the half. Now 13 all in the third when Dolagala goes to work. Completing passes of 18, 5, 8, 8, and 26 to Tevin Jones for the score. Riders back in front by 7, but the L respond immediately thanks to the ground game. Trey Ford rushes for 14 and then Kevin Brown for 5 and 4 and Ford for 9 and Brown for 35. He's gone. Touchdown. Tied at 20. And now the back and forth. It continues. Riders roll right back down the field thanks to a 57-yard catch and run by Jamal Morrow. It sets up a 12-yard strike from Dolagala to Bain and bam! 27-20 after 3 but the Elks back down for no one. Ford hits Eugene Lewis for a 30-yard touchdown strike early in the fourth, and we're tied again. Four straight touchdown drives, but then the Elks D forces a two and out, and the offense keeps on cooking. Ford rips off a 10-yard touchdown score. Edmonton takes their first lead of the game with six minutes left, and Saskatchewan does not have an answer. A two and out, a safety, a turnover on downs, 36-27 the final. The Elks are now 4-10, and Riders 6-7, and that race for third is getting a little tight, isn't it? In Hamilton, the Hall of Fame game as the Tiger Cats host the Blue Bombers, coming off a huge win in the Banjo Bowl. But like last year, when Winnipeg rolled in off a 54-point outburst in the Labor Day rematch, only to lose by 17 to an inferior Hamilton team, it was clear early on this was going to be no walk in the park either. After Mark Leggio gives the Tabbies an early 3-0 lead, Tim White rips off a 52-yard run. Four plays later, Taylor Powell hits Terry Godwin for a six-yard score, and it's 10-0. But Winnipeg has the answer. A 50-yard strike to Nick Dembski sets up a five-yard touchdown pass to Nick Dembski, and it's a three-point game. Well, it's six-point game. What? Sergio Castillo with the rare convert miss. It doesn't go at the end zone, and Tyreek McAllister runs it back 126 yards for the two-pointer, and it's 12-6. Ugh. Now 15-6 in the second when Kolaris hits Kenny Lawler for a 25-yard touchdown. They're within two, and this is where the comeback begins, right? Well, 
Hamilton responds with a 10-play 78-yard touchdown drive. James Butler with the two-yard score. The lead is back to nine. It's cut to six. And now a field goal attempt to make it three at the half is no good from 48. Well, this isn't going great, but it's just a six-point game. The Bombers are still going to come back, right? Well, Hamilton opens the third with a seven-play 67-yard touchdown drive aided by a 40-yard pass interference penalty, and it's 29-16. And then Kolaris is picked in the red zone. Oh, boy. And Hamilton is driving, but Powell throws a pick in the end zone, and that's life for Winnipeg. And then Kolaris is picked again. Bombers running out of time. Seven minutes left. Kolaris is picked again. What the heck? But on the next play, Powell fumbles, and Winnipeg finally turns it into points. Kolaris, of all people, with the one-yard touchdown sneak. Six-point game with just over three minutes left. They need a stop. They get it. Hamilton punts it back with a minute 40. Holy smokes, the Bombers could steal a win. First down, Kolaris is sacked. Second down incomplete. Third down incomplete. Well, that was undramatic. Hamilton with the big W, 29-23 the final. Now tied for second in the East, a big dagger to those hoping for a crossover appearance from the West. And with Winnipeg's loss, a great opportunity for the BC Lions to climb closer to first in the division. And hosting a Red Blacks team on a six-game losing streak, that should be a piece of cake, right? Well, it's 6-1 Ottawa after one thanks to a pair of 53-yard kicks from Lewis Ward. Interesting. Okay, now here's BC. Big pass interference penalty puts the ball on the one. Dom Davis with the patented backup quarterback. One-yard touchdown plunge, and the Lions are in front. Another Ottawa field goal. Another BC touchdown. 15-9 late in the third. And order is being restored, right? Nope. Red Blacks, they're not going away. Dustin Crum leads him down the field, seals it with a three-yard rushing touchdown. Ottawa with a one-point lead at the half. Now 18-16 BC in the third when the Ottawa offense goes to work again. Crum caps off an eight-play 70-yard drive with a five-yard score. 23-18 Red Blacks. Whoa. And now Vernon Adams is picked. And Crum drives for another touchdown run. 29-18 Ottawa. Two plays later, Adams is picked again. It's returned 50 yards for the score. It's 37-18 Red Blacks after three. What's going on? BC gets a field goal to start the fourth, cutting the lead to 16. Ottawa goes nowhere. Punt, giving BC great field position, but they turn it over on downs. But Ottawa again punts after just one first down, and then Adams is picked. This should be over, right? Six minutes left. Ottawa up 16 with the ball. Come on. But another two and out. Four minutes to go. The Lions need to get to work quick. It's no huddle time. And Adams leads them right down the field. Eight plays, 62 yards in a minute, 50 seconds. That's pretty good, but... They don't get the two-point conversion. They're down 10 with 2.22 to go. And they don't recover the onside kick. That should do it. Ottawa just needs to not do anything dumb. Okay, they're lining up for a 50-yard field goal with a minute 49 to go and up by 10. Not exactly sure what you're going to gain from this. And the kick is no good. And Terry Williams returns at 120 yards for the score. What are you doing, Ottawa? Now it's a three-point game. And okay, you still can do this, Red Blacks. It's a minute 20 to go. You just need a first down. Instead, an incomplete pass stops the clock. And Williams returns the ensuing punt to the Ottawa 54. With 39 seconds left, the Lions can tie it with a field goal. They barely need any yards. So why don't they just go for the win? Adams to Justin McKinnis for 20. A roughing the passer penalty moves it to the Ottawa 16. Second down. Adams, 22 seconds left to the end zone. Lucky Whitehead has the touchdown in BC has the lead with seconds to go. Now a good kick return to midfield sets up Ottawa for a Hail Mary, but Crum is sacked. And that's the game. The Lions with a theft of a victory. Ottawa has lost seven straight, and they choked hard on this one. Wow, wow, wow. What a week of CFL action. 15 weeks now in the books. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. 
We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you over the day. You may not share our intellect, which might explain the